Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation takes us back into the Australian Classics Book Club. Now, the Aussie Classics Book Club is a monthly exploration of Australian writing, featuring a panel of authors, editors, publishers and critics, and it's a great way to look back and discover forgotten, classic and underappreciated Australian writing. Today's book club features David Winter, Senior Editor at Text Publishing, and Geordie Williamson, Chief Literary Critic at The Australian. And together, we will be discussing Thomas Keneally's A Dutiful Daughter. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing, and literary culture. And in the Aussie Classics Book Club, we look back to learn more about that culture into our future. The Great Conversations podcast is a chance to hear more of these discussions and dive deeper into the books that you love. And if you know someone who loves literature, then why not share the podcast with them? Books are always better when they're shared, and together you can join the discussion, perhaps start your own book club. Just by hitting subscribe, you'll both get a great new episode every week and a new friend to discuss books with. A Dutiful Daughter opens on Barbara Glover, awaiting her brother Damien's tardy return to the family farm. Damien has been away at university, and while Barbara remains on the farm, caring for her invalided parents. The malady that confines the Glovers is not your typical malaise, though, and Barbara has had to perform a type of bureaucratic subterfuge to ensure that no one investigates the farm. In many ways, Barbara's parents have blamed her, and she has taken on this responsibility ever since the night they turned into half-human, half-bovine centaurs. Join me and let's discover more from Thomas Keneally's A Dutiful Daughter. My name is Andrew Popel and it is time for our monthly uh, trip into Australian writing that is the Australian Classics Book Club. I have a fantastic book for you today, but please let me first introduce my guests. Uh, my frequent collaborator, David Winter, he is a senior editor at Text Publishing, is joining me. Hello, David. Hi, Andrew. Great to be here. And joining us also is Geordie Williamson. He's the author of The Burning Library and he's also the Australian's chief literary critic. Geordie, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Andrew. Now, without, uh, without further ado, I'm going to announce that today we are talking... Uh, Someone who, who barely needs an introduction, although we will, Thomas Keneally, and we are discussing one of his early novels, A Dutiful Daughter. Now, David, can you give us a bit of background on who Thomas Keneally is for the people that don't know? Sure. Well, he's um, a fixture of Australian literature. He's, uh, he's got a vast output, um, probably in the region of 50 or 60 books, um, predominantly fiction, but not exclusively. He's best known, for, I think, for uh, the 1982 Booker winner Schindler's Ark, which, of course, was filmed as Schindler's List. His recent novels are Crimes of the Father and Two Old Men Dying. He's also um, co-writing books with his daughter, Meg Keneally, uh, the Montserrat series. So he's uh, incredibly prolific. He's been writing since um, the early to mid-1960s. He trained first as a priest and then set out to write. And his first couple of books were not particularly well-reviewed, but then in the late 60s he produced a pretty stunning trio of books, uh, Bring, Bring Larks and Heroes, Three Cheers for the Paraclete and The Survivor. Uh, and that really established him as a force to be reckoned with, and he's uh, continued to be incredibly prolific, publishing probably about a book a year. Between those three novels that I just uh, mentioned and The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, which will, many people will have heard of, uh, and of course there's quite a famous film of it too, Keneally wrote uh, A Dutiful Daughter. It was published in 1971, and I'm 
pretty confident in saying that nothing before or since in Tom Keneally's writing could have quite prepared any reader for the strangeness of this book. And I think that's what we'll really get into today. It, to me, they're really uh, the only kind of comparable writer in that period is David Ireland for just sheer weirdness in mainstream Australian writing. Now, A Dutiful Daughter opens on the titular Barbara awaiting her brother Damien's tardy return to the family farm. Damien has been away at university while Barbara remains on the farm to care for invalided parents. And the malady that confines the Glovers came on when Barbara was 12, on the night, in fact, of her first menses. And in a way, they have kind of blamed her and she has taken on this responsibility ever since. Now, um, I'm not being deliberately coy here and, and, and hiding one of the central and fantastic images of the novel. I confess I am still actually getting my head around some of the bizarre circumstances of the Glover farm. Geordie, can you actually maybe contextualise this a little bit and, and talk about what I'm, I'm struggling to get my head around? Well, yes, you're right, because, you know, the novel begins, you know, I think in kind of obedience to the kind of the dictates of the kind of the realist novel. You have a sense of place where somewhere on, I think, the, the sort of mid-north coast of New South Wales, there's some suggestion that Damien is returning from a kind of regional university town. So perhaps um, he's at uh, New England. So we have a setting, um, a storm is approaching. It's an isolated spot. Uh, it's it's a bit struggle, um, and you get a sense that this family has been one uh, that you know it, it, there is a, a tradition within the kind of Australian um, uh, I get you know agrarian sociology of 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 those who are uh, lower down on the socioeconomic ladder starting to turn inwards and and to stay on their properties as a means of isolating themselves from a wider world that's kind of threatening and, and becoming very modern and, and different. This is the world that we enter uh, when Damien returns to the family farm and to Barbara. And Barbara, who is, yes, caring for her invalided parents, but the fact of the matter is that she's been maintaining a kind of bureaucratic facade over time for many years now. Her parents have not been invalided, but rather transformed and transformed at the point where she herself um, had her first period and was terrified, believed that she was dying. And of course, her parents of that uh, wartime generation uh, were very much um, indifferent or not indifferent, but fearful of discussing the body. And they didn't tell Barbara about what was happening to her, and she spent a night in mortal terror. The next morning, her parents realised what has gone on, and uh, turning on her parents, the young Barbara um, practises some kind of, of, of dark and irrational magic on them. She runs off, her parents race after her and she returns to Damien several hours later with her parents trotting behind her. They've been transformed at some point into half cattle, half humans. And this is how we find them those years later um, at the opening of the novel. I think that's a a suitable pause after where where do we go from here? And that was sort of, that was how I paused when when I was trying to get my head around this, and it's it's such an unusual circumstance because at various times we are confronted by the the visceral, you know, bodily lusts of 
uh, Damien and Barbara's father running free in a neighbor's uh, plot looking for looking for cows and then also uh, the mother and the father as they're as they're referred to uh, sitting in the barn where the only TV on the farm has been set up for them enjoying their evening it's it's both so obtuse and then so banal as to be you know part of everyone's experience of their parents you know sort of watching them watch the TV and you're not really a part of it uh, I agree, Andrew. It's it's um, a, a profoundly um, uh, difficult image to hold in the head while at the same time acknowledging the pure ordinariness of this couple. They're the parents who disappoint in some way, shape or form. To Barbara, they disappoint because they have failed her as guides in this uncertain world. And, and in a way, she's become... Um, her, her, she sealed herself up in her virginity. Let's look at it that way. And one of the weirder aspects of the novel is that the one sort of strange thing that she does have is the manuscript of a medieval trial, which she somehow um, come into possession of. And we are led to believe that this may well be the transcript of the trial of um, Joan of Arc, when she was, you know, brought before the authorities and was having to defend her actions, so there are there are mirroring effects which um, expand outwards from what is a very kind of you know um, ordinary bog standard um, Australian rural story, but which tie it to kind of networks of idea and image and metaphor which are very, you know, Western European, very much from the the old old Norse myth kitty. This is Final Draft on 2SCR 107.3. We are in the Australian Classics Book Club. I am joined by David Winter and Geordie Williamson discussing Thomas Keneally's A Dutiful Daughter. I struggled to understand Barbara, but then also realised that that was, that was exactly the point. In her own internal uh, search for meaning, she is she's very much adrift and she will try to find things in her religion, things in this manuscript, but then also from the outside, she's viewed with with awe, with wonder, with lust. She's a very powerful figure. We see this through through Damien's imaginings of her, but then also the, the character of Frederick, who recurs, who has seen her from afar. He's a worker on a mine nearby, mine, um, and he, he has, sees her as this sort of lustful, uh, idealised figure. And I wondered a little bit uh, about something that I saw as a central tension, this idea um, to be bound sort of by a terrible duty, as Barbara is, or to be set adrift with this aimless freedom. And, and Damien is confronted with both. He doesn't want to be bound, but I don't think he knows what to do with freedom. You're absolutely, you, you, I mean, this is the novel's setup. Here's mm. Barbara. She's trapped at home by her own actions. She's turned her parents somehow into these creatures who are unable to operate in the world as they they used to. Uh, she has taken on this responsibility so Damon, uh, Damien himself can, can go off and, and enter the world. And we know as readers that Damien's coming home late to the farm because he spent the night in town with his girlfriend and he slept with her. Mm. Now, this is a profoundly affecting moment for Damien because uh, in a sense that is both kind of uh, uh, emotional with regards to his sibling relationships and the charge-closed nature of the secret that they hold, but also his own attraction to his sister. So Damien's return 
to the farm is one charged with a kind of question. Is he a part of this family? Is he a part of this closed circuit with his powerful but uh, trapped sister? Or is he meant to go out and break out into the wider world? And that is the the central drama of what is uh, an often outrageously kind of weird and and surreal um, narrative from that point on. Is this the right point for me to uh, ask you both your opinion on uh, the use of second-person point of view for Damien? Because that's something that I've wrestled with and not come to any particularly good conclusions, I think. I I jotted down many thoughts as I read along. One, one that I found was contrasting uses of person tend to both draw me in and then distance me from certain characters the way the way person and particularly second person is used but also the way that we have so much of the narrative seems predicated on on Damien's ineptitude his inability to to figure out whether he is drawn to duty or if he is free and the use of the second person, the use of the, the, that constant, almost baiting you, mm. I felt very much was was pointed at me. And I wondered, I wondered also perhaps if it was being pointed at men, at male readers. And I think this might tie in with some of your thoughts, Geordie, uh, that I saw in your introduction about the historical period that this novel lands itself in. Yeah, look, the the second person is a very strange narrative strategy. Um, anyone who's, you know, spent spent their life reading novels will know it's not something you come across very often. I, I guess for my own reading generation, it was probably, you know, as a young person reading sort of choose your own adventure. So you do feel that sort of sense that you're being kind of directed in mm. some way by the narrator. But this is um, this is problematic because the narrator is, is attempting to um, make you and particularly if you're a male reader um complicit in 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 some of the very uh, kind of strange internal um ructions that this this uh, character is is undergoing so at once you're you're drawn into a kind of tight orbit with the character and at the same time there's a kind of weird mirroring distancing effect where you're sort of thrown out of the text as well by this strange kind of angle of approach what we should also say is that this uh, idea of making problematic the, the 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 male voice, and indeed Damien is is kind of quite. Um, oh, he's not feckless, but he's not he's not coherent. He's not adamantine in the way that 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 Barbara is. He's all over the shop, and I think that there's some sense. Uh, that Keneally, I think, in his particular narrative strategy is approaching, is trying to say, uh, I'm taking um, a big stick to the kind of patriarchal certitudes which might otherwise govern um, a a novel of this kind. I want you to feel the radical uncertainty uh, of a man in a moment where things are changing. And we should probably um, draw attention to the fact. I did email Tom at one point and say, had you read The Female Eunuch um, in the lead up to writing this book? But I've never heard back from him on that front. But it was published the year before. And I, I, I have to imagine that something of the uh, uh, the kind of radical attack on um, on these kind of patriarchal certitudes must have flowed in to some extent. It must have been in the groundwater. 
I think one way to characterise Damien uh, is to go to that moment where he first meets Frederick in the bar and through through Frederick's sort of brash and brash rude treatment of the bartender, um, they, they both end up getting thumped. But what really struck me is Damien's sense of action. He stands up to, I think the, char- the character's name was Andy. Why are, why are Andy's always brutes in? <laughs> um, he stands up to Andy only to wait for the fist to land. And, and all he does is turn, he turns his head enough that it hits his jaw, not his nose. At which point he, he goes down only to stand back up again and wait for the next punch. He has a sense that there is action required of him, but in waiting, and this is what he does also, he, he waits. He waits for a stronger hand to guide him, be it Barbara or someone else. In waiting, all he does is leave himself victim to the circumstance. I think what we can take away from this is there's some suggestion uh, within the text because, I mean, this is, in some ways, it reads like um, a, a philosophical novel. It's quite high-toned. Um, there's a lot of uh, relaying of, of conversation, which is um, taking place at quite a high intellectual level. Mm-hmm. Um, concepts and categories are being discussed, not between Barbara and Damien so much as between Damien and his girlfriend who has emerged out of the same university background. And she points towards one possible way of being in the world, which is very much um, uh, the kind of the rising middle-class intelligentsia. Mm. But the odd thing is that the more that he's learned while he's been away at university, the less certainty he has, where uh, Barbara, who, um, you know, mirrors to some extent the kind of the peasant warrior queen that Joan of Arc was, the visionary um, emerging out of nowhere, seems to have a, a far more powerful sense of what is what. And that seems to me to be um, a division that is not only based on intuition over acculturated knowledge, but it's also about gender. And it's also about the kind of coming into terrible knowledge that um, that that Barbara from the outset um, has given her power over her nuclear family. How much of how much of this religiosity can we can we read in as paying respect to versus directly challenging? I've I've jotted down a few quotes that have a bit of coherence to me now that we're talking. One was that looking at um, looking at what happened to Barbara, um, but then also the the sexual uh, relations that happened between Barbara and Damien and Damien and Helen. Uh, the, the quote that all experience was now altered beyond toleration, and then also uh, thinking about the mother, the mother and her her hanging on. They, they keep talking about how the mother's illness is as much uh, a part of her character as it is an affliction of her body. And they say that a devotion to the affliction rather than to the cure, to the grievance rather than to its redress. And all I could think, all I could think having a Catholic upbringing is that just sounds like Catholic guilt. That's, that's just a very nice way of describing Catholic guilt. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and what's interesting about the book is it's obviously informed in a kind of by negative theology in that um, uh, this religiosity is present, but at no point is it kind of connected um, more explicitly to, um, uh, you know, the, the, a Christian God, mm. however you wish to kind of imagine them. So um, for me, uh, 
you know, Damien and Barbara's mother is, um, yes, you know, uh, her, her, her wounds, her, her malady is a way of furthering the kind of entrapment of Barbara within the household and, and, and insists on this kind of uh, clinch um, of, of nuclear family life. But um, Barbara's mother is, is the most openly kind of traditionally devout figure in the book. Um, just as interesting is um, is Damien and Barbara's father, who is um, very much kind of uh, a would-be old-school um, misogynist and rake. Mm. There are some really interesting moments between them and then separately, which coming back to this idea of of how religion is being treated, that just it was so interesting to think about as they they toy with the these devotional ideas and even. Um, even to the point of the novel's ending, which we won't go into too much, but Barbara forces herself into decisions based on actions, based on interpretations of those actions from an old school religious perspective, but then ultimately the, puts herself through a tangle of arguments to kind of justify why she will make ultimate choices. Yeah, she's a, she's a tremendously complex figure. I, I think one of the most remarkable female characters in in all of Keneally's body of work which um, as David has pointed out is 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 vast and considerable and and you know uh, every kind of character comes to the fore at some point uh, in his work but we must also keep in mind that she's a radically limited character mm. Uh, in relation to, say, someone like Damien. She doesn't have freedom of movement, nor does she have a full and proper understanding of her own sexuality. And that, of course, at the um, towards the, the kind of the conclusion of the novel creates the kind of um, the, the catastrophic kind of outcomes that um, they were perhaps hoping to avoid. But this sense of, um, with her, the beam cuts because it's narrow. Uh, she has such a radically delimited horizon and operates exquisitely within it that that tension with her brother emerges out of the fact that she knows that he has access to a far wider world and there is a kind of bitterness that she holds in check nobly but which Damien is is only too conscious of. Yeah, and there's that scene where... um uh, Damien is kind of defending or explaining uh, Barbara to uh, Helen, who, um, uh, who who is really pretty down on Barbara. And Damien talks about how um, Barbara is enslaved, and she um, is her, her limitations are prescribed mainly by uh, society. But then he he struggles to kind of articulate what it is. He knows that it's the uh, the fear of how other people would react to the situation of the parents, but he also knows there's something deeper, and he can't. But it, of course, being Damien, he doesn't really get to the heart of it. This is Final Draft on 2SER 107.3. I'm Andrew Popel, and you are in the Australian Classics Book Club, where we are discussing Thomas Keneally's A Dutiful Daughter. Can we delve, before we run out of time, into a little bit then? We've talked so much about the home life, but that intersection between the Glovers and the wider community that's that's represented and very much brought back to the fore by Damien. There's this constant sense, uh, especially from the mother, that she needs treatment, that she needs a specialist in. And 
Barbara becomes that link to the world. She She's going into town and has that connection, but refuses to expand it. And at one point, there is this sort of sense that they're, they're going to finally take the step. They're going to go into town and, and the father actually does start to trot into town. And a, a quote that I jotted down was about the, the way they might be received. And it was that a good citizen has a number of categories in his mind. And I wondered then about the historical context and then just the Australian context, because it seems like even in this wider world, outside of the farm, there is still that fear of this conservative parochialism. I mean, it is quite a a big thing to take in uh, a half bovine centaur, but this sense that the conservative parochialism wouldn't even come close to extending that far, that the, the categories are very limited. Well, can we expand um, outwards from that? Um, because I'd like to know um, from you both, but especially Geordie, again, putting it in the context of the early 70s and the uh, liberation movements, um, particularly feminism at that point, but uh, also what's going on in fiction at that point, because it seems suddenly that um, uh, that representations of, of society and uh, are much more uh, wild and unhinged, or, or rather the um, characters kind of in relation to society. I'm thinking of the early uh, David Island novels in particular, in particular um, which are pretty kind of sh- shocking and, and kind of quite aggressive, and uh, as, as well as pretty wildly experimental. And so something is really happening in that, in that moment. I think you're absolutely right, David. Obviously, what's happening in the context of David Island, who is writing in in this year, I think the unknown industrial prisoner appears, uh, which is, um, as you rightly um, suggested before, the only other narratives being produced at this particular point in time that I'm aware of that are as just as wild and out there. What Ireland says he's doing is that he is turning his back consciously um, on that kind of Anglo tradition and looking to uh, the magical realists of Latin America to try and find um, creations or modes of storytelling that seem more kind of apposite to the Australian experience. But there's that famous line... Um, uh, um, uh, from Yates about, you know, things only, we only see things in their passing. Well, I think that David Ireland, who is writing about the kind of passing of a particular kind of working class Australia, which disappeared along with our manufacturing, um, you know, sort of sector uh, during the 70s and 80s, and Keneally as well is talking about a kind of um, agricultural underclass, which, uh, for instance, say Olga Masters is also writing uh, about, which is about to be uh, really kind of expunged by, you know, uh, an emergent neoliberalism. There are suggestions within the text that the reason that their little um, kind of boggy coastal dairy is not making any money is because um, the large milk producers are moving in to kind of create uh, regional cooperatives, which they don't have uh, the means to join neither technology nor the scale. So um, I think both... 
Ireland and Keneally are capturing a particular kind of Australian self or, or, or typology, which is actually in danger of passing out of the world entirely. And it's just at that moment where, you know, the modern world really seems to be kind of um, dawning over this small farm and linking it to a kind of, you know, a wider and radical change uh, across the entire societal landscape, whether economic or in terms of sexual politics. You are tuned in to the Australian Classics Book Club on to SER's final draft. We have been discussing Thomas Keneally's A Dutiful Daughter. I'm joined today by David Winter. He is a senior editor at Text Publishing. And Geordie Williamson is the author of The Burning Library and The Australian's Chief Literary Critic. David, Geordie, this has been a fantastic conversation about... Such a, a wonderful, interesting, bizarre, must... I, I'm going to say must-read book because I've... I've had such a time talking about it and reading it. I really appreciate both of you uh, coming into the book club today. Thank you, Andrew. It's my pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. That's it for this great conversation in the Australian Classics Book Club. I want to thank David Winter and Geordie Williamson for joining me to discuss Thomas Keneally's A Dutiful Daughter. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER and click subscribe in your podcast app to get new great conversations every week. My name is Andrew Popel and I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft.